You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi, welcome to Nick Luck Daily. Tom Stanley in for Nick. It's Thursday the 17th of August. We'll turn our attention to next week's York Ebor Festival. We'll be discussing a little bit about this weekend as well. Still good racing to come this weekend. Reflecting on a race yesterday. Uh, that's Ray Beckett joining us in the show. Uh, but first of all, Dave Yates, newsboy of the Daily Mirror. We can reflect on a media briefing held by the BHA with members of the media yesterday. A credit to them for for doing this. And this is the, the first instalment of a few uh, I think they're intending to to host every couple of months or so. Um, they selected, Dave, the, the topics that were to be discussed. But then there was an open floor to ask questions about any particular topic where anything was on the table. Uh, we first heard from Greg Swift about levy reform. Greg, the Director of Communi- Communications and Corporate Affairs at the BHA, he formerly held a government role as Head of News and the Press Secretary to the Foreign Secretary. We then heard from Richard Wayman, the Chief Operating Officer, who addressed the fixture list changes for 2024. It was essentially a progress report on the announcement at the back end of May. And then the Chief Executive of the BHA, Julie Harrington, spoke about industry strategy dave what are your key takeaways from what was discussed first of all tom i think it's a a very welcome development over the last few years many of us have criticized the baha for a lack of uh, an open house policy a lack of transparency it's been very difficult to get hold of uh, some of the top brass over the last few years particularly julie harrington i'm sorry to single her out but um that there have been lots of issues to deal with uh, during her tenure at the BHA. And I think many of us feel that we would like her to have been a bit more of a visible presence. So um, yesterday's events were very welcome. As you say, there are more of them planned. And although uh, the introduction to today's Nick Luck Daily might sound a bit uh, dry as a bone, it is actually quite interesting what was said and informative about some key areas uh, that affect uh, British horse racing. As you say, um, the levy was mentioned, the premierization fixtures and the fixture lists, um, also affordability checks and how uh, the BHA is liaising with the Gambling Commission uh, in order to, um, to, to, to mollify and soften the effect on our sports finances and obviously that is very much a hot topic at the moment uh, few of us have any confidence at all in uh, the gambling's uh, the gambling commission's um knowledge of gambling and we feel that it has a a disproportionate amount of power that uh, we hope that it isn't used uh, to uh, racing's detriment with regard to affordability checks so and and then uh, finally Judy Harrington address the issue of whether there is a lack of confidence in the British Horse Racing Authority uh, from uh, those within the racing community. So we'll we'll come to all these in uh, good time. Shall we start with affordability checks first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It was... um... It was an answer really taken by um, Julie Harrington initially and then uh, Greg Swift commented on it as well. 
which they assured everyone that plenty was going on behind the scenes, that, that Dave, they are fully aware of the, the threat that affordability checks pose and that, that, it, that it's something they're, they're constantly working on um, direct with government and have been for some time. Yeah, for, for those people who, who don't know this, um, affordability checks uh, were adopted in the um, the government's gambling white paper earlier this year. Um, the consultation process with the Gambling Commission closes in October, and I, I, I'm sure that all of us would urge uh, those who have um, experience of uh, affordability checks uh, to uh, make a contribution to that consultation stage. Um, over the last couple of days, we've uh, heard reports in the trade paper, the Racing Post, of uh, Phil Cunningham, of course, a, uh, a classic winning owner who ha has talked about um, his experience with uh, black market uh, bookmakers and how uh, they've sought to get his business. And also a couple of days ago, Carl Hinchy, a grade one winning owner over jump, said that he would be quitting uh, the sport or that this, I, I, I'm, I'll believe it when I see it in the case of Carl Hinchy. He, he said that the headline that he was quitting the sport. And if you delved a little deeper, it said it's likely that this will be uh, his last season as, owner, as an owner. So we will see. Um, this is a, this is a really big one. Uh, for the British Horse Racing Authority. We'll talk about the lack of confidence and the saunas, the whip, the small fields uh, and uh, the lack of prize money within horse racing. Um, but I feel that this would be a very big win if the BHA can be seen to be uh, leading the charge and, and, and as I say, uh, persuading the Gambling Commission that um, affordability checks should be frictless, fr frictionless and not intrusive and thereby not injurious to racing's finances I think that most of us within the sport and the industry would see that as a big victory. Julie Harrington said it's a big area of concern for us. And we've been open about that from the very beginning. We've had ongoing meetings, not just with the Gambling Commission, but also DCMS, the Department of Culture, uh, Media and Sport. And what's been very good is that the ROA and the NTF, the Racehorse Owners Association and the National Trainers Federation, have been able to give us confidential but live examples of people who are clearly able to afford an enjoyable leisure pastime and spending huge amounts on their horses than they are able than they are on the ability to have a punt on them. Uh, we've been able to meet directly with the Gambling Commission and share those real stories. And DCMS have pleasingly asked us further questions and for more evidence evidence on that which is good they are listening she reiterated that it is an area of concern but assured those who were present at the briefing that uh, the BHA are into government and into the gambling commission and have been ever since this was raised so um Julie Harrington there just um, basically stating that the BHA is fighting racing's cause in uh, uh, this attempt to avoid what we all fear and that is uh the that affordability checks are not frictionless, that they are intrusive, and they will thereby um, hit us very squarely in the pocket. I think the the um, idea you've raised there of, uh, and as you say, we'll come on to, to confidence and the sort of general um, 
popularity of the the BHA within the sport, uh, which was addressed in the in the briefing yesterday. But the idea that affordability checks it definitely can be their big win. But I guess the question is how how do you measure that? It seemed that there was an acceptance yesterday, and 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 there there is an acceptance I think from everyone involved in the sport that affordability checks do and will negatively impact the sport and its and its finances but it's to what extent they do and, and therefore how how do we measure how successful the, the BHA have been are being regard affordability checks as to as to how much of a win they could have yeah I, I think that's right as I say I, I think that um the I suppose one word that springs to mind Tom is existential like when we talk about uh saunas when we talk about uh, the whip, less so with small fields, because that is a sort of existential threat. The, the the big existential threat to British horse racing is a lack of money, isn't it? We're already uh, losing high-end horses uh, to overseas and have been for years. That drain is continuing and it's getting worse. Talk to any trainer who had plenty of horses rated in the 90s um, over the last few years and they will tell you that those numbers or, or many trainers will tell you that those numbers have dwindled so in in far in so far as um one recalls to mind the world the word existential i think that that's why this is such a big victory if the or would be such a big victory on the part of the bha if they can claim or claim convincingly demonstrate that um that they have if you like bent the gambling commission to their will and that uh that yes have affordability checks if you wish but don't make them intrusive make them frictionless and thereby um not knock a whacking great hole in uh british racing finances a, a hole that it, it really uh would would be unable to uh, to cushion and sustain then that is a very big win and it and it makes a few other topics probably not all of them but it makes a few of those other topics i think trivial by comparison you talk about the the funding of the sport um anything leap out at you uh, regards greg swift's comments on levy reform uh, just just merely that uh, with regard to the levy for 2024, that um, the, the uh, it'll surprise nobody that the the racing and gambling industries at the moment are not as one with regard to the the contribution that um, the betting industry should make to horse racing. Uh, Greg Swift referenced um the uh british gaming council figure of 455 million pounds uh which uh it, it claimed uh was a contribution uh to racing through media rights payments levy and sponsorship um the warning uh following that uh this was not a bottomless pit uh for financing the sport um greg swift's response to that was that uh they don't accept the b GC 
analysis or accept those numbers. He said, uh, we've got a meeting imminent with the BGC, but it's clear from the engagements that we have had with the Department for Culture, Media and Sport officials that the government's preferred approach to this would be for racing and betting to come up with a proposition that government can work with rather than there being a yawning chasm between racing and betting and the government having to impose a position. So um, as has happened in the past, I mean, going back to the 80s and 90s, when uh, the um, the government had to act as a, an arbiter and, and find a, a, a compromise figure, uh, Greg Swift has uh, told us there that, that the government essentially want us, and that is racing and betting uh, together to sort out a figure and go to government and the government does not want to be acting as a an arbiter or a referee in this process and read the the fixture list which richard wayman led on uh, we didn't um necessarily learn anything new other than everything was on course um read what was uh, set out at the end of may i guess the the key point that people wanted to ask about was was funding for the premier fixtures yeah, that's this is quite an interesting one because, um, again, for those who are unaware, the, the BHA announced uh, the uh, Premier fixtures earlier this year. It's a two-year trial period. It affects the majority of Saturdays, during which there will be a two-hour window between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. And through that window, you will see uh, two Premier fixtures and one other non-Premier fixture, and the others will be... Um, budged along the bed. They will take place either earlier than later than uh, that two-hour window between uh, 2pm and 4pm. Now, uh, Richard Wayman said yesterday that the 2024 fixture list would be likely uh, to be published, well, that it would be published next month. Um, interestingly, though, with regard to the funding of the Premier fixtures the chief operating officer Richard Wayman didn't go very far I, I didn't think in allaying concerns that this money will have to come from the bottom end uh, which will prop up the top he said you cannot have a premier fixture and then continue the same as before in terms of money there is a combination of measures about how that extra money will be generated that includes requests to the levy and that will involve the redistribution of money from elsewhere into premier meetings. That's part of it. So, again, if you are um, an owner whose horses are running in races at the bottom of the pyramid, uh, you, you won't be too comforted from Richard Wayman's words there that um, some of the money that you're horse in a naught to 55 races uh running for i'm afraid will be used to finance or at least he's not allayed your fears if i can put it that way um that uh, that money will uh go to uh finance the top level he he did uh speak of a change in behavior on the part of the race courses reported during the early stages um, to be hostile to the product project. He said, um, in terms of the Premier fixtures, if every race course had continued with its 2023 behaviour into 2024, we would have about 115 to 117 fixtures that would have met the criteria. We're looking at the moment at around 160 Premier fixtures for 2024, which shows there's a significant change in how we are altering 
altering their behaviour and wanting to be part of staging Premier fixtures. Right then, uh, confidence, Dave. Uh, and confidence of the BHA. So this was um, something that Graham Cunningham, who was at Beverly for Racing TV, put to initially the chief executive, Julie Harrington, that there was a perceived lack of confidence in the, the governing body. What did you make of the various responses? Yeah, again, uh, Julie Harrington uh, took, uh, largely fielded this question. Um, and over the last few, well, years and months, obviously that there have been many issues in uh, the BHAs in tray, whips, small fields, prize money, latterly saunas, of course, which have been uh, something of a um, of a bone of contention over the last couple of weeks between the um, Professional Jockeys Association and the BHA. But Julie Harrington rejected uh, calls that um, or, or claims that there was a lack of confidence in racing's regulator. She said, um, we work across all the stakeholders and I don't feel that lack of confidence, I I don't feel that lack of confidence in the BHA team. We engage directly with trainers, deal with other bodies and race courses and behind closed doors, face to face, anyone has an opportunity to to raise concerns and we're not really having those raised. I'm obviously prepared to listen, but we're having conversations with stakeholders and they have empowered us to get on and do things. And if they were not confident in this team, I don't think they would be asking the BHA to broaden its mandate and do more for the sport. Um, I would also, and this is an interesting uh, quote, this bit, I would also add that there are areas reported where people don't like the outcome, which is a bit different from whether they've got confidence in us. When there's dissatisfaction because a decision hasn't gone someone's way, that just comes with the territory. I take issue with that slightly there, Tom. I think that um, certainly my own, uh, you know, the, the my bet noir with the BHA over the last 10 years has been its stance on the Prokush whip. And I feel that in many cases that um, that is... It's not just a question that I that I don't agree uh, with the outcome. I think that there are there are elements of the BHA's policy, uh, particularly with the, uh, the the lack of education with what it is and how it's used and what it does to a horse, which which is still on the statute, by the way, of the um, the recommendations uh, from last year. And I don't think any of those have been put into action at all. Um, they, they were towards the bottom of the list admittedly but yeah i think there are um there are there have been elements of of the whip debate over the last few years that i felt it's in my own case that it's gone quite a bit further than than simply not just uh liking the, not not just agreeing with the outcome uh, i i felt on occasion that that i've had a a lack of confidence with what they're doing and how they are going about it is it a case or would you accept, Dave, that the, the BHA working very hard and, and very capably behind the scenes on on issues like affordability checks, like levy reform, or that it's likely that is the case? It's just it's just those workings behind the scenes aren't the headline makers that say the whip and, and saunas, which put the, the the legislator at loggerheads with the sports practitioners, that those are the things which generate the headlines. 
and and the fallout, if you like. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair point of view. Um, I, I've I've criticised the BHA many times in the past, um, but I certainly, uh, you know, I, I know that an awful lot of hard work goes on uh, behind the scenes in the case of affordability checks, with which you've referenced. Um, Again, to repeat myself, if if they can claim that a win, that would be a very significant one. Um, it's also true, Tom, that the uh, the 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 language that the that the regulator uh, uses has to be uh, a lot more conservative in many cases than uh, that that used by their opponents. You know, it, in the media, you can write rude things about the BHA, about the people who um, uh, 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 who are uh, in the corridors of power, uh, jockeys can say the same thing with regard to um, saunas. Can come out with colourful language, colourful statements, and the BHA or any regulator uh, cannot respond in kind. That's just um, that. That's how it goes. And so, you know, unless you get someone like um, Boris Johnson or, or Donald Trump taking the helm at the British Horse Racing Authority, and I, I don't think any of us wants. Um, that to happen, then they have to be more measured in, in what they do. And as a result, they're often the, the butt of very public criticism. Let's turn our attention to, well, you can also uh, reflect on yesterday where uh, Rafe Beckett saw his Philly State occasion take the Uphaven. Uh, he does go on to talk about what the likes of um, Blue Stocking will be doing or not doing at, at York next week. But I caught up with him earlier on. And um, first, we'll ask him what might be next for State occasion. Well, obviously, uh, morning, Tom. Thank you. Uh, obviously, the um, Pride Stakes is an obvious race for her uh, next month on the Rowley Mile. But we, she was entered for the Prix de l'Opera on Tuesday. Um, obviously, I'd be hoping for a dry autumn for her, hmm. um, uh, and you know we might well get that given how much rain we've had in the summer. So. She'd be in there, and also I think I I I think we'll end up thinking about America as well. EP Taylor maybe that kind of that kind of uh, gig. She's very straightforward, Philly. Uh, I think she uh, travelled well, um, and uh, it was great to get her off the mark. She'd been suffering from trainer error slightly over the last year, and that um, you know we should really have got black type done before yesterday. But anyway, there we go. Uh, forgotten now. Yeah, well, she did it in style as well, didn't she? Um, we talk about her being ground dependent. I mean, is that a case of if there was soft in the going description, she wouldn't run? Simply, simple as that. Yeah, that would be it. Fine. Had she had a setback after to York at all, or was it just ground? <clears throat> yeah, she wasn't quite right um, uh, back in June after uh, after a run in the Middleton. She was just she went off a, off colour. A little while, and then uh, obviously July, and so uh, opportunities were were uh, limited, if not non-existent, mm. and uh, we had to wait until yesterday. So, uh, listen, it, it, it is what it is. She's still owned by her breeder, and uh, the uh, car she ran these uh, from the breeder. So, um, uh, in that sense, uh, everybody's happy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well done with her. Um, if we just turn our attention to, to York, you suggested yesterday that plans very much weren't finalised for Blue Stocking re-Yorkshire Oaks. 
Yeah, um, I'm still waiting on her slightly. Um, she'll do a bit this weekend and then we'll see how we feel. Um, but she's not a definite at this stage. She was obviously very, very, she ran a very good race at the at the car. How did you come away from that feeling? <laughs> I was delighted with, I was delighted with her effort and I was delighted with the way the race went. went. Uh, everything went right. We just got beat. Mm. That's, 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 that's life, isn't it? Um, it was an extraordinary performance from the winner. Um, well, obviously, he's very, very good. Uh, I, I think that you know, the, the the issue for us is that uh, you know she she inevitably she had a hard race there, and we have to manage that. You know, go, going on from there, and uh, that's what we've been trying to do. So, uh, not that she's a clean-winded filly who doesn't take a lot of work. So, uh, if as I say, if we're happy with her this weekend, she'll go. If we're not, then she won't. Fine, and and would the the ledger be on her agenda still, or does that really depend what happens between now and then? I think it's be more likely the Vermeer, right? Um, uh, I don't really. You know, we've had we've been lucky enough to have fillies who were suited by the ledger, um, simple verse and talent and so on. But um, I don't I don't see her as this, as, this, as as the same. You know, she's. She's uh, not as, you know, she's a big, strong filly, but she's a different type to them. They were hardy campaigners, and uh, I think the mayor would probably suit her better. Okay. Kinross City of York, I, I guess, is is, um, is relatively obvious. Does that mean Angel Blue would go elsewhere? He'd go where it rained. Um, he, he ran a good race at, well, in the Queen Anne, and perhaps didn't back that up in the summer mile. I am sort of minding him at this stage. He'll go uh, uh, when we're happy with him and the ground's right for him. And, you know, the race, whatever race that is, uh, d- d- depends on depends on those, those two things rather than having actual targets. He's in the celebration mile and races like that as well. Hmm. And, and does Kim Ross just follow the path of last year, York, Donny, Longchamp? Doncaster, I think we ran in, in the Park Hill because in the in the Park Stakes, I should say, because um, the ground came up right for him and he was well, and we felt that it, um, and that and that worked out well for him. I I sort of view it the same way. He might go to Doncaster, but that would be incidental rather than a target. Mm. And uh, finally, Lone Eagle uh, has an option of Lonsdale or, or Ebor. What's most likely? Well, he, he also has the option of, uh, of the uh, uh, Marlon Six listed race at the beginning of September at Chester. Right. Um, it, so he could go to the Lonsdale. He's very well and didn't work out from at Goodwood. I felt we didn't ride him positively enough in retrospect. Um not that he would have won anyway, but I think we could have ridden him differently. Um, and uh, I think York will suit him, but uh, whether he goes there is under discussion because he might he might go to the Melbourne Cup. You know that, and ah. we'll see. We need to we need to win I to see. go anywhere. <laughs> Alrighty, good luck with him. Well done yesterday. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Tom.
Dave, I, I'm not overly confident that that blue stocking will line up in the Yorkshire Oaks, but we'll see. I mean, of course, I, as a, I hope so. But um, Rafe very much suggesting that she needs to tick a few boxes between now and then. Yeah, the turnout for the Yorkshire Oaks is going to be very interesting because whether blue stocking goes or not, we're very likely to have Save the Last Dance. Remember, of course, it was uh, Save the Last Dance who won um, the Cheshire Oaks by 22 lengths, then went to Epsom, finished second that day, and in the Oaks, of course, and then went a long way towards redeeming her reputation in the Irish Oaks on softer ground that day. She traded at 999 to one in running on betting exchanges, but overhauled uh, blue stocking by half a length under an inspired Ryan Moore ride. Now, whether blue stocking goes or not, we do, it seems, have saved the last dance. But what will surprise many people was... um, the uh, would be the quotes from Aidan O'Brien in today's racing post to, to Dave Jennings. Um, most of us would have thought that that was a pretty gruelling experience on soft ground for Save the Last Dance, but Aidan O'Brien said she didn't have much of a race really at all. They only sprinted up the straight. It wasn't a strongly run race, and that's why what happened to her did happen. The pace wasn't fast, and then they all started to sprint, so it didn't suit her. That's what happened to her and how she found herself in the position she was. She's on her York programme at the moment and all is well with her. We're very happy now with how she's doing at home and everything is going well with her so far with regard to York. She will be, she will always be better in a race with a much stronger tempo. The big galloping track will suit her and any ease in the ground will beat her advantage. And at the end, um, I think we've got the issue that will divide many punters in terms of Save the Last Dance. Um, Remember that it was uh, a quagmire on the Rudy when uh, she won the Cheshire Oaks. It was soft at the Curra, but it was much quicker at Epsom when she was found out. And Ryan Moore didn't really look happy at a relatively early stage uh, at Epsom. So I would have thought that if Save the Last Dance is there, which it looks likely she will be, she'll head the market. But I would have thought that if the ground uh, does ride faster on the Navesmire, there'll be plenty of punters who are willing to take her on. As you say, we might not have blue stocking, but the presence of Save the Last Dance will uh, give the Yorkshire Oaks next Friday uh, a great deal of interest. And Wednesday's Jermont International, Dave, is, is really taking shape for better or for worse. Yes, indeed. Uh, the um, the stuttering uh, stop-start season of Desert Crown it looks is it looks like it is going to be kick-started next Wednesday. Remember, with this horse uh, beaten by Hookham, of course, in the Brigadier Gerard Stakes at Sandown in May. Um, Hookham, of course, has subsequently gone on to win a King George. Um, Desert Crown, that sparkling workout, triggered the gamble for the Prince of Wales Estates, in which he was going to be ridden by Frankie de Tory. 
didn't turn up at Ascot, then um, was aimed at the King George, was going to be ridden by Will Buick on that occasion. Poor old Richard Kingscott, who rode the horse to victory uh, so brilliantly at Epsom uh, last June, out in the cold, it seems. Then there was the leg infection that meant, I think that was on on the Wednesday, wasn't it? Before the Thursday, uh, the 27th of July, when the declarations were made for the King George, Desert Crown didn't make that gig but he was back in action has been back in action subsequently and worked under ryan moore in newmarket uh yesterday morning um bruce raymond told me that uh people weren't jumping around shouting whoopee because uh, the horse isn't an extravagant worker but he went a couple of lengths clear of his usual companion and all is well william buick will ride uh, godolphin's uh pickings look pretty slim in that department at the moment and of course there's a a, a relationship between uh godolphin and uh, well, the mac tombs sheikh mohammed and saeed suhail who owns uh desert crown in any case so william buick will be on board and it looks that finally we will see desert crown in action at york uh, paddington of course heads the market we've got mostadaf in there as well who did win the prince of wales stakes and in emphatic style it doesn't look like we're going to have king of steel though tom um uh, they they said earlier in the week his connections that they were favoring uh going to the uh, irish champion stakes at leopardstown next month rather than um, make a, a quicker return to the fray uh, in the Judmont International for the horse who finished third in the King George and second in the Derby. And it looks like Ireland will be the plan. And that will be uh, round three, won't it, between Auguste Rodin and King of Steel. It's 1-1, although in slightly different um, sort of circumstances because Auguste Rodin won the derby by half a length and then they were um, there was a most of Berkshire between them when Auguste Rodin uh, trailed in last in the King George in which uh, King of Steel was third so it looks like Leopardstown for him in any case but um, we should have Desert Crown and all of us will look forward to seeing him. Turning our attention to the Skybet Ebor, the current favourite is Sweet William. Uh, he's not a certain runner at, at this stage. 30 on the list, 22 maximum field. Um, owner breeder Philippa Cooper, who joins me now, will will certainly be hoping that eight come out so that Sweet William does get in. Uh, this horse, Philippa, got a, got a sweet in front of his, his first name, Sweet William. Why Sweet William? People seem to have forgotten, or it's probably because I'm too old, but Sweet William's the flowers. Oh. And also, I don't know, they don't seem to sell them in florists anymore, but if you Google them, you'll recognize them immediately. And also, my son is a Sweet William, so I had to name him. I've had the name on reserve for about 15 years, and when this fellow was born, I just thought he was such a lovely foal hmm. that I would, I thought, I've just got to use this name. I mean, otherwise I'm never going to use name. And whenever I've named horses after a member of my family, because people always think the Dolores family, and they're all people I know, but they're, they're just sort of random names. But I had a horse that I named after my father, Albert, with Charlie Fellows, and he ran once, and I think he was about 50 lengths behind all the others, and he was promptly retired. So I have to be careful. Uh, but, you know, so far, Sweet William, although he's not sweet, 
has been a good William. Yeah, uh, yes. Now, is he not sweet? I don't, I don't know. I'm yet to actually see the horse in the flesh. Is he? Is he not very sweet? What's he like? Well, he wasn't. He wasn't sweet because he had a terrible. He literally broke his tibia at the age of two, mm. and he had seven screws put in by Ian Wright at NEH, who mm. saved the horse. Then he had three, four screws taken out four months later, so he had a long rehab program at Jane Allison's, and hence being stuck in your box for months would make you not sweet. So uh, he's an incredibly brave horse to have put up with what he did, and then to follow through with a racing career. When he first ran at Kempton, which was almost a year ago in September, he was three and a half, three and three quarters. And I turned up and I had a telephone call. I was sitting in the car park and it was John Gosden. And he said, where are you? I said, what do you mean, where am I? I said, I'm in the car park at Kempton. He said, well, I'm in the owners and trainers. Hurry up. And I thought, what's John Gosden doing Wednesday night at Kempton? And then I turned up and he said, I've come because I'm afraid of what he's going to do. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he's a bit of a character. And that was an understatement. And he was rearing up and, and I got really worried because of what he'd been through and I thought he's going to smash his leg again. But Rab Havlin said, no, 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 it'll be fine. And he's a brilliant horseman, got him out onto the track. Of course, the minute the stall handlers approached, he was having none of it, rearing up, going mad. And Rab just waved them off and rode for horse into the stalls. I don't think that's ever been done before, the commentator said. <laughs> well, thank, I mean, thank, thank goodness he got him in. Um and he's, bloss- yeah, he's, he's blossomed ever since. So I'm looking at Sweet Williams now. They're a very pretty sort of um, purpley white flower. Um, it yeah. says, less hardy Sweet Williams will flower in their second year. However, hardier flowers bloom year after year. So he's a hardy oh, Sweet William, definitely. That's very interesting. I should mm. have looked that up. He's, he's there a- you are. It's a hardy Sweet William. Now, yes. so you, you, you bought the mare, did you? Is that right? I bought the mare... Out of training. Right. Um, she was in the December mare sale, 2015, I think it was, and she had been with James Vanshaw, and I'd been watching her uh, because I love the staying pedigrees, and she was from the, well, you know, they say it's an old Aka Khan family, but it's actually Lionel Holiday family. Um, anyway, um, amazing breeder. So he had developed that family. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I said to Auntie Stroud, God, I really like this family, and I really, you know, I really like the mare. She's a good-looking mare, and her sister's seal of approval was Group 1 winner, and it was um, Harzan family and everything. So I bought her, and Willie Mullins was underbidder, so she could so easily have gone jumping, and there would have been no Hurricane Lane and no Sweet William. But I bought her, and I sent her to Frankel. She had Frankel's storm. Billy I sold as a yearling, and then... She had Hurricane Lane, and then Sweet William was the next. And then I sold her in 2019 at the December sales, and um, Watership Down bought her, so they've now got her. Um, And I'd made that decision to sell her along with other mares. Mm. Um, I've only got three mares now, so it's not, oh, why didn't you keep Gale Force? I mean, I sold some lovely mares just past at the end of November. Um, So... That's it. Uh, good luck with, with Sweet William. I mean, the other horse I, I need to ask you about is obviously unbeaten, bred by you, but, but the last time the horse won, um, he was in the Wathnan Racing Colours. But how much are you 
are you following Gregory out of Gretchen, his form and, and what he does next? Well, very much so. I think he's going for the great, great Voltiger and mm. I, I will go. I mean, you know, I firmly believe once you sell a horse, you know, it's not your gig anymore and you <laughs> keep away. But I, I will watch him from the sidelines. Um, very proud. I mean, when you sell a horse, you want him to do well. There's nothing worse than selling a horse for good money and the horse doesn't do well. Um, and of course, I've got brothers coming along behind. So it's it's. When you're a breeder, they're your horses. You know, they're in your heart. Mm. Um, and yes, he's sold, but I will follow him just the same. Philippa, appreciate your time. Thanks ever so much. Thanks, Tom. Well, Group 1 in France this weekend is the pre-morning, and that is the destination of Elite Status, trained by Carl Burke, who's with me now. How is he, Carl? Yeah, he seems very well. Very happy with him um, since uh, he won the Group 3 there a couple of weeks ago. So he's due to travel out uh, later today. Um, just, just just touch on everything from that sort of, you know, blast on the scene Sandown performance to, to where we are now. Well, he's always been a horse we really liked all the way through the winter. He was showing plenty and plenty of ability and um, obviously won a little race at Doncaster first time up on slow ground and, you know, improved again on that as they all, young, young horses always do. And then put up a pretty spectacular performance in the Sandown and Sandown to Ascot yeah, because obviously we realised you know they had a very good horse on our hands and planning these races in France you have to give them certain in- injections EHV uh, in- injections and they can knock them around a little bit and we had to give him um, a couple of those leading into Ascot which didn't help you know they can spike the temperature sometimes so I think he ran under power at Ascot. I'm 99% certain he did. He didn't show his true form. He was beaten on the day fair and square, but we think he's a lot better than that, and I think he proved that uh, when he went out to Dover next time. Why did you go to, to France next time? I, I can't remember, forgive me, if that's the sort of route you've gone with the likes of Unfortunately's, etc., who've ended up in a morning, but is that was that always the plan, or did it did it just come up as a, uh, a nice target? No it, was, no, it wasn't necessarily the plan, but um, after getting beat... I think if we'd have won at Royal Ascot, we'd have probably gone straight to the morning. But after getting beat, we wanted to, you know, put him back on the right track. And it was either probably go there or the Richmond. And that was the easier option. And as it turns out, the ground at the Richmond was, was horrendous. So um, I think we made the right decision. Yeah, get France with the better ground, as you do. Um, <laughs> what, what a, so did you, you were always looking to step him up to six as soon as possible? Not necessarily, um, but um, Sheikh Mohammed obeyed his owner was um, after he won it. Uh, at, even after he won so convincingly over the five at Sandown, he he sort of suggested we step up, and I said, "Well, no, let, let's you know we're quick enough to go for the for the Norfolk." As it turned out, you know I think we had an excuse there, but um, Sheikh obeyed was. Uh, put me in my place afterwards and hmm. um, sort of said uh, I told you he's a galloper rather than a rather than a five furlong horse and that may may be true and and I think he, he was always going to get better at stepping up in trip but as I say I don't think he showed his true form at, uh, at the Norfolk. What's your gut feeling about the morning? It's a very good renewal I'm just looking at the um, what's left in is 13 left in after today's forfeit stage Aidan's got four of those I would presume he's not going to run all four, so he'd probably take a couple of those out. Mm. Um, even 
but Canary Fuerte is, is left in as well. So I, I, I would imagine a few of these will come out. It could break down to sort of nine, eight or nine runners looking at it. Mm. And, we, and Valiant Force, I can see, is still in there. Was that the horse that that was the horse that beat you at Ascot, wasn't it? So it was, yeah. So that will give us a that will be interesting. Mm. But no, I'm very, very. I think we've got a very, very high class colt, and um, you know he's a horse with a future. He's not just a two year old. Okay, uh, turning our attention to to York, if we can. Um, uh, is Killian going to run? He's in great form. Yeah, the plan is to go for the gym crack. And uh, yeah, very excited. I think he's he, the step up in trip will definitely help him. Um, he's got a real good high cruising speed with a great um, with a great turn of foot. W- would the ground have inconvenienced him in the Malcolm? A hundred percent, but not just that. The draw as well. Uh, I think if we'd have had a. A draw, if or if we'd have got into a position where Oshin Murphy on the second horse, he was drawn next to us, but on the on us on the stand side, and he sort of kept us out of that position that we wanted on the rail behind tracking the leader, uh, tracking the winner, and I think if we'd have managed to get be in that position, I think we would have. I think I actually think we would have won the race, but. You know, we we sort of had to bide our time getting over and 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 sort of come back round Oshin's horse, you know, behind him, and then we were sort of running on ground we didn't like down the hill, um, and we just got a little bit too far out of our ground through no no fault of, of anybody's, and then we stayed on through really just class and guts once we got on the rail, but we always had too much to do, you know. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. He, so he'll go to the the gym crack. Um... Elite status who's in that isn't going to run there because he's running at the weekend. Just some of the other group entries you, you've got. Obviously, the nun thought you've got two in it at the moment. Are they both likely to run? Dramatised and Marshman. Oh, and, Sil- and Silky Wilkie. And Silky Wilkie, sorry. Yeah, the only runner there will be Dramatised. Right. Um, the other two won't, definitely won't run. Um, Dramatised, I'm praying that we don't get too slow a ground for her. You know, she's in great form. It's going to be a hell of a race, but. Um, with John Quinn's horse in and uh, Archie's colt, so mm. it's it's a real, real true test. But um, she's in great form, and she's um, you know wouldn't be frightened taking on anybody. Whether we're good enough on the day, we'll find out. Will you have Yorkshire Oaks runners, Novakai, Poptronic? All being well, yeah, they're both in great form, both um, targeted there, and um, as I say, you know, very happy. But again, very tough race as as, as most of the York group races are. And two, yeah, aren't they just two in the lather at the moment? Dorothy Lawrence, beautiful diamond. Dorothy Lawrence runs tomorrow at Newbury, but that doesn't mean if she performs very well, she wouldn't um, have a look at the going again next week. But um, beautiful diamond definitely is targeted there. Okay, great stuff. Appreciate your time, Carl. Thanks ever so much. No problem, Tom. Thank you. Back with Dave Yates. I just need a tip from you, please. We're going to go to the five twenty-two race at Wolverhampton and Bo Typhan who I hope can complete a hat-trick in the final race at Dunstall Park. Um, successful in a handicap at Chelmsford City, then a classified stakes at Lingfield Park. Back in handicaps here off a £3 higher mark, 68 days off the track. But I hope Liam Wright's mount can rack up the threesome here. 522 race at Wolverhampton. Selection is number three, Bo Typhon. Dave, thanks very much indeed. Hope everyone has got what they needed out of the Thursday, the 17th of August, Nick Luck Daily. Bye-bye. You.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.